0: On today's episode of Marshall Media Montage, episode 19, Tyler here. I talk Darkwing Duck, Three Ninjas, all three original installments, the fourth one I lightly touch up on. I probably should rewatch it, even though I'm sure it's going to flop. Uh, Yak Back the Toy, and as well as a band from Canada that you guys will find out in the end and what games I'm playing. So here it is, Marshall Media episode 19. Let's go. All right, kids, now I'm going to talk to you today about this toy. It's chill. It's chill. It's not. It's chill. It's not. It's chill. It's not. It's chill. It's not. It's chill. not. It's chill. It's not. It's chill. It's not. Can I have a sip of your drink? No. Yes. No. YakBack gives you the last word. YakBack! YakBack! What a silly little commercial for a really cool toy. (laughs) Basically, knock off a TalkBoy, and I had the YakBack much more so than I utilized the TalkBoy that I never had. So, moving on. The YakBack, a line of handheld electronic voice recording toys developed by Ralph uh, Osterhout, some sort of German sounding last name, if you ever asked me. For Yes Gear, aka Yes Entertainment, in the mid to late '90s, several versions had been created. Uh, the original Yakback, Yakback Two, the Warp R or Warper, however you want to pronounce it, Yak Wacky, which sounds like a funky term for pff, jacking it, <laughs> Yakback sound effects or SFX, and the Yak backwards. Some models came in the writing utensil uh, pen form, known as power pens. It was intended to be compact, of course, and made affordable. Uh, competition at the time the power pens comparative to the Talkboy introduced by tiger electronics in 1992 featured in home alone 2 uh, historically in december of 1994 yes gear launched the product consisting of a single speaker and two buttons one button was uh, marked say while the other was play hold the say button recorded for six seconds of sound and the red light display indicated such uh indications to record and then obviously you'd hit play and you'd be able to hear your six seconds of what you said this was the basic premise for all subsequent models of the toy each one adding a slight variant to the original following sales in 1995 a line of miniature recorders were introduced uh, for new products by 1996 and lowering the price tag to a more affordable range my guess is probably around the christmas time that way people could pay for it the original would be re-released in 1997, known as the Yakback Classic, and again in 2000 as the Yakback 2K, because everything else around the year 2000, it was 2K. Uh, a short and sweet story for a toy that I haven't forgotten, and I still recall the little purple device that I had, and it featured alien sounds as well, if I'm not mistaken. It was a cool nostalgic trip down memory lane to talk about such a, a cool toy, and I hope you enjoyed what I was able to find. Now I'm going to transition to an old cartoon show. Well, ladies and germs, now I'm here to talk to you guys about this old cartoon. Yeah, that was, uh, I mean, I feel like the actual show itself is better than the intro. I don't know. The intro music is okay, but the lyrics are just kind of bland to me in my perspective. But uh, anyway, I'm talking to you guys about Darkwing Duck, <coughs> Excuse me. an animated superhero comedy TV series produced by Disney Animation that ran from 91 to 1992 on the programming block Disney Afternoon and Saturday mornings on ABC which Disney owned, which makes sense, right? A total of 91 episodes were aired featuring Darkwing Duck, of course, who is the superhero alter ego of ordinary suburban Duck Drake Mallard. A total of three seasons were conceived, distributed by Buena Vista TV. The first season was Disney Afternoon, while seasons 2 and 3 were an ABC Syndicate. From September 6, 1991 to December 5, 1992. Thought by fans to be an, uh, a spin off from the 80s, 1987's uh, DuckTales, created by uh, Tad Stones, who stated in a 2016 uh, statement that it is a standalone series in two separate universes, actually. Uh, it featured supporting characters uh, from Launchpad McQuack and Gizmo Duck, and the 2011 comic book series uh, references various villains from the series as well. A crossover series of Darkwing, Duck, and uh, DuckTales comics occur in issues 17 and 18, as well as issues 5 and 6, respectively. A reboot is in development on Disney+, Plus, so for all of us nerds out there, there it is. It's coming, hopefully. The the TV show. Uh, Itself was a last-minute replacement with the concept artwork by Michael Peraza for a proposed reboot of Rocky and Bullwinkle, which I'm glad they didn't do that because the show... And video game can just be forgotten, if you ask me. Rocky and Bullwinkle was just... whatever. When management realized uh, Disney didn't own the rights to the characters, Darkwing Duck uh, entered production instead a year after uh, DuckTales ended. Darkwing was actually inspired by two specific episodes of DuckTales, one being O Duck and the second being the masked mallard. The creator, Mr. Stones, was directed... To come up with a series for the Disney afternoon around the premise of Double O Duck as an executive liked the moniker as a spoof of James Bond and felt Launchpad would take the uh, starring role. Thus, it seemed the title could not be used because it was owned by the Broccoli Company or Broccoli Family. So uh, I didn't know that the tiny green tree vegetable caused such a trouble for the masked mallard. Yes, that's a joke because I, I, I don't know what the Broccoli Family is. I didn't do any research on it. I just thought it was funny. Uh, The creator, Ted Stones, designed new characters for the lead, making McQuack as the sidekick. There was even an inside joke on the show during an episode of A Duck by Another Name. Drake suggests who is the alter ego of uh, Darkwing. That is his new identity to be a Double O duck, and Launchpad uh, remarks uh, seems kind of silly, doesn't it? Only nerds uh, should and or would know that they were breaking the fourth wall, right? So the show itself features a completely original cast, although there were featured cameos from the Beagle Boys, an old comic strip that uh, Disney owned from way back when. Uh, Fun fact, Darkwing Duck was one of the first American animated series to be broadcast in syndicate in the former Soviet Union. Uh, the show currently airs on Disney Plus streaming service, with the exception of the banned episode "Hot Spells." I didn't look anything up on that. I have no idea why it is banned. I almost feel like I should have researched that, but yeah, it is what it is. As for DVD releases, Disney released a three-disc DVD set entitled Volume One on August 29th, 2006, which I own, as well as owning the second volume, which was released August 7th of 2007. Currently, it is unknown if Disney has intent of releasing the remaining 37 episodes on DVD, but Volume 1 and Volume 2 contain uh, 54. The reception of the show went well, and on IGN it was named the 93rd Best Animated Series of All Time. IMDb rates it at a 7.6 out of 16,000 reviewers. Now I'm going to transition over to a little bit of other media. The game released by Capcom on the NES was a phenomenal action platformer in 92 and ported to Game Boy in 1993, which is basically a stripped-down version of it. Also released for the TurboGrafx-16, but it was a terrible game, unfortunately, so I'm not going to cover that at all. And of course, uh, a Tiger handheld electronic was also made in 1992. It'd be cool to maybe perhaps own, but I'm not going to play it because Tiger electronic handhelds are just they're god-awful as well as being featured in the uh, theme park for meet and greets from its existence uh, since 1991 until 2018 in uh, Disney Paris, and making cameos himself on episodes of Goof Troop as well as Bonkers the Cat uh, and Aladdin the series, and lastly, Robot Chicken for notable uh, series that I decided to cover. I even recall uh, my cousin, for instance, having the gun when I was a kid. Uh, He used or excuse me, that Darkwing used in the series, and uh, it, it made like weird, bizarre quacking noises and just obscure noises, uh, the gun itself, and it stank for some reason, I don't know if the gun was designed to stink, or perhaps where he had it in his room, I don't know, it just, I remember the odor was just god-awful, but nonetheless, a yeah, classic pop culture cartoon and game loved by many on the NES, not forgotten, and perhaps we will receive a reboot in the future, whether it be a completely new iteration of the story or a continuation only time will tell stay tuned for the next thing I'm going to talk about all right ladies and germs now next film I actually would like to uh, discuss is something I already discussed with my buddy Austin James but I went a little more in depth with it so here it is the trailer for the film She their butts. Now, three heroic kids are taking on one ruthless criminal. Ah! Yeah! And they're determined to have the last laugh. Enjoy the ride. Three ninjas, rated PG, parental guidance suggested. Well, that was actually the trailer for the first film. There are four films, but the first three are the ones that are most iconic that I enjoyed. And uh, the second one that I don't feel like gets enough love, uh, Knuckle Up, I'm actually going to play some Native American flute music just in honor of that film while I uh, discuss the movies. Okay, so let's talk three ninjas, fact toys and trivia. As I stated, I already did an episode with my buddy Austin James on his show, and I'll touch up more on that in a minute where we reminisced uh, films uh, within our mind's memory, but now I'll just delve a little further into the films. The three young boys apparently trained in ninjutsu. uh, I smell a turtle's knockoff coming. (laughs) Just saying. But uh, Victor Wong, the grandfather, is the only one to appear in all four of the films. The series ran from 1992 to 1998, but the first three are the most notable, in my opinion, and released chronologically. Uh, The first film, August 7th, 1992... Kickback, May 6th, 1994, which I thought was the third installment, then Knuckle Up, uh, April 7th, 1995, which I'll get more into uh, those two films here in a minute. And the last, uh, High Noon at Mega Mountain, April 10th, 1998. The first two had a budget of $26.5 million, apparently, according to Wikipedia, but when you go on IMDb, I want to say it's around, I don't know, like $6 million or something like that. But they grossed $41.6 million. Now, the character's portrayal of the three boys uh, flip-flops here and there. Samuel, Rocky Douglas, in the film's trilogy first two installments was Michael Trianor. I knew in Kickback it was someone else whom actually happened to be Sean Fox. The middle brother, Jeffrey Colt Douglas, played by Max Elliott Slade and Michael Olasky in the last film, uh, High Noonan Mega Mountain. Now, the youngest, Michael Tum-Tum Douglas, played by Chad Power in the first film as well as Knuckle Up, and Kickback was uh, Evan uh, Bonafont, J. Evan Bonafont, actually. Uh, Victor Wong is the only one who stayed for the entire saga of the quadrilogy, but Colt, Max Elliott Slade, was in the first three good films, of course. This just in, according to Wikipedia, it's the first film was 1992, Knuckle Up was 93, and Kickback was 94. To me, that makes much more sense than the other release dates, but moving on. The Reception and box office performance was a success and was the only entry in the franchise, the first one, to be released by Disney through the Touchstone Pictures label. The rights then were acquired by TriStar Pictures, which released the three sequels, all of which were box office bombs, apparently. Switching over to IMDb, the first film has a 5.3 out of around 22,000 reviews, which isn't fair in my opinion, it at least deserves a a 6.5 in my book. Fun fact, when Disney acquired the distribution rights to the film, the studio found it to be too violent, so filmmakers responded, adding cartoon sound effects to lessen the violence. Similar to the juxtaposition of the uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles sequel, uh, Secret of the Ooze sequel film. Also, uh, in the American version of the film, there were numerous scenes cut parts of scenes to secure the PG rating, or as Austin and I said, it was a PG-12 type film. (laughs) In the international release, the boys uh, lost the basketball game in the first film, and a scene at the end of the movie tidies up the loose ends. Now, I want to see that version, damn it. Anyway. Lastly, the first film, when released in North American theaters, a Bonkers the Cat cartoon played before the film. I believe it was called Pedal to the Metal. So damn cool. That's just such such a cool 90s, 80s thing to just have cartoons before films. They don't do that anymore. But anyway, Bonkers the Cat... Is actually an easy Capcom uh, game to play. It's an action platformer recommended for, uh, you know, uh, early, easy platforming entries for fans who want to beat a game in about a half hour. Now, getting onto the movie tie-in game, uh, Kickback, I'll talk about that a little later in relation to how I was just talking video games. Moving on to Knuckle Up, because to me, this is the second film, in my opinion, compared to the Kickback film. Okay. All right. Knuckle Up has a 4.3 out of almost 6,000 reviews, which is something uh, I can see it viewed as probably the weakest in the original trilogy, but still has some awesome action sequences that can't be overlooked, and I believe it deserves at least a a 5.5 or a 6. And unfortunately, it also has won two Stinker Award nominations for a sequel uh, that no one was clamoring for. That was the award that it won in 1995. That's also just not fair but to the fans, but still in a sense kind of funny. Fun fact, this puts an end to the chronology with the fact that the film was shot before Kickback, but was, was released later on. So hell yeah, feels good to be right in my book. Another note, this is the only film out of the four installments to not feature the parents. Uh, it is also the only one to receive a PG 13 rating, which my guess is because of the Native American political elements, and there's definitely lots of violence compared to the others. Lastly, it's the only film in the franchise to have the same three child actors reprise their roles compared to the first film. So, therefore, I knew it there. So, score another point for me. Okay, now kick back. Probably my favorite among many others who have watched the films as well as it being their favorite because it wasn't only just the action comedy aesthetic, but it had elements of adventure as well. And it has a 4.5 out of 9,000 reviews. Once again, I feel like it deserves a higher rating. Michael Tranner, aka Rocky, didn't return for this installment because he decided to quit acting. Uh, For reasons unknown, I didn't necessarily look into it. Another note, despite the Japanese setting, all the songs on the original soundtrack are actually Korean. Interesting enough, the international version of the previous films, uh, Colt's name, was changed to Mustang. But in this movie, it was changed back to Colt due to the antagonistic uh, baseball team in the film called The Mustangs. To just not cause confusion, I assume. Lastly, for this film, the original title was Three Ninjas Go to Japan. And I'm glad they stuck with Kickback because it definitely sounds much better. Now, in relation to Kickback, there was a game, and it takes place within basically the setting of the film. It was released on multiple consoles. Uh, first, I will discuss it was released on Sega Genesis. The price tag now, according to price charting loose, is around $66 or $250 complete. Now, on the Super Nintendo loose, it's $90 or $750 complete. That's a lot of money for a little piece of plastic. Uh it's a fun action platformer, and it's well worth your time. It's a lot of fun featuring Nurse Shibuya as a bizarre boss with a needle, <laughs> and uh, the last boss, Koga, like in the film. Play it any which way you can. Also, news, to me, uh, released on Sega CD as well. So, of course, it's I thought it would have been a little more expensive, but it's actually not that expensive, and it's a dual disc with the film uh, Hook with Robin Williams. Loose, it's $100 or complete, only $130, which... Like I said, for Sega CD, usually it's a lot more of an expensive, uh, system to collect for, uh, you know, so if you want to hear, uh, more in regards to the films, check out the kick and ass podcast where my buddy Austin James and I talk more on the films, shooting from the hip memories, the box art, everything, but there it is in a nutshell. It was fun to research and discuss. So, you know, these home alone, uh, turtle mashup films. So Hope you enjoyed that. Now I'm going to be moving on to something else. Thank you. All right. Now, next, uh, I would like to discuss a Canadian rock duo band that I don't feel like ever gets talked about ever among uh, musicians and uh, enthusiasts of music alike, whether it be punk, metal, rock, classical, jazz, whatever the case may be. So here it is. Well, I play just a clip of their song, A Romantic Rights, because I feel like that's probably one of their most notable songs, in my opinion. But uh, I will play in the background while I talk about them their album, The Physical World. Okay. So that was Death from Above 1979. Introduced to me by uh, my manager, uh, Vernon. When I worked at Dick's Sporting Goods many, many moons ago, uh, he was like, so, hey, I heard you enjoy White Stripes and Black Keys. Well, check this out. It's basically that mixed with a little bit of Weezer, that garagey sound. So the band itself is a Canadian rock duo consisting of bassist Jesse F. Keeler and drummer vocalist Sebastian Granger from Toronto, Ontario, formed in 2001. The band released their debut album, You're a Woman, I Am a Machine, in 2004 and broke up in 06 reforming in 2011, and released the second album, The Physical World, in 2014. Since then, two more albums have uh, released Outrage Is Now in 2017, and Is For Lovers in 2021. So, off and on, the band has, you know, together, not together, not together, it's almost like a rocky relationship, you know, uh, but has been still around, and still prevalent, and still play together and do concerts. Uh, I classify it as garage alt punk but it is labeled as da- dance punk which I can see for sure just by based off the uh synthie garage sound. Historically the two met at a uh, Sonic Youth concert reportedly and Keeler the drummer also states that they met looking for uh or excuse me Keeler the bassist met that they were looking for a drummer for his hardcore punk band uh Fem Fatale. However in 2021 their interview goes that Keeler was drumming for Black Cat number no. 13 and was uh, storing bass gear in his house for a planned show opening for the Blood Brothers. The show was canceled due to the 9-11 event, but invited Granger to jam, and they were inspired by their own sound and formed a band since, nonetheless. They embodied a dance-punk aesthetic that lived and thrived in grimy basement clubs, and the band's early work combined noisy, hardcore, gritty synths, and earnest screams. I personally feel as if it's an electric, you know, as an eclectic enthusiast of music, this band doesn't get referenced enough or much whatsoever. So I thought I'd mention it, uh, you know, here on my little dorky channel to convey to my audience that they matter. Just picture Weezer meets White Stripes with a DIY punk theme. It rocks, and I've been a fan ever since for over 10 years. They got killer coverage, so give it an earshot any which way you can. They're on Spotify and Amazon Prime Music. And by all means, go find their vinyl. So anyway, I'd like to transition to a little bit of games I was playing. Uh, I've been playing Mega Man 11 uh, as well as uh, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, which is a really cool classic beat-em-up feel with chip tunes. It has like that 16-bit, or 16-bit uh, graphic aesthetic to it. It's beautiful. It's a lot of fun. Uh, I'm really enjoying it because I think it ties in with like the comic book as well as the uh, movie. Uh, Mega Man 11 is definitely a throwback to the original. It's like 2.5D essentially uh with you know of course the action platforming of the capcom blue bomber it's a lot of fun it's incredibly difficult uh they're both incredibly cheap too uh, i'd say ten dollars or less for a digital copy um well worth your time that's what i've been playing as of late uh so get out there and go play those any which way you can this is marshall media montage and thank you for listening as always thank you for supporting me and supporting the channel get out there go watch these movies play these games play with the yak back uh You know, go watch The Three Ninjas and listen to Death from Above, 1979. Uh, I am Marshall Media Montage. You can find me at shazz.boxx.88 at hotmail.com. Thank you. Well, folks, that was episode 19 of Marshall Media Montage. Thanks again for all the love and support uh, that you guys give me. You know, it's a lot of fun making this, uh, show in regards to toys, music, movies, anime, video games, books, whatever, anything media, I would love to touch up on it. There's a lot out there to talk about. So thanks again for, uh, listening. Martial Media Montage, episode 19. I am Tyler. You can reach me at letz.surf.88 at gmail.com or shazz.boxx.88 at hotmail.com. Thanks again and all for all the love and support and uh, enjoy the rest of you guys' holidays new year's is around the corner so much love thank you <laughs>